Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 151 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is legendary fantasy and horror author Clive Barker. He emerged in the mid-80s with a series of groundbreaking short story collections called The Books of Blood which prompted Stephen King to label him the future of horror. He later adapted one of his stories, The Hellbound Heart, into the classic horror film Hellraiser, which he wrote and directed. A few years ago, he fell into a coma as a result of toxic shock syndrome contracted from a routine trip to the dentist. He since made a dramatic recovery, though he continues to experience lingering health effects from the coma. However, that hasn't stopped him from producing new work at an astounding rate, including his latest novel, The Scarlet Gospels, the final adventure of his popular character Pinhead, star of the Hellraiser films. And now, here's our interview with Clive Barker. All right, so we're here with Clive Barker. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, so your character Pinhead first appeared in a story called The Hellbound Heart. You want to tell us about that? Um, yeah, that, that started the whole thing off many, many years ago. And uh, Pinhead, or the, the, the character called Pinhead by, by friends, uh, was was a minor character in, in, in that book, but uh, people liked him. Not so much in the book, but when, when they made a movie of it. When the movie came along, people really liked the character. So when did you first get the idea that Pinhead was turning into this uh, this cult figure? I think uh, soon, after the, soon after the movie opened, we saw that every single photograph that was printed from the movie, or almost every photograph, was of the guy with the pins in his head. <laughs> and that, that had to tell you something, right? I mean, it was people were choosing that image uh, to identify what the movie was. And, you know, he, he doesn't, I think he appears in maybe eight minutes of the movie. He's not a significant part of it. Uh, but people just, uh, as I said before, people teach you what they want. They, uh, they, they educate you, if you like, in what you've done. Right. And so why don't you tell us a bit more about what else has Pinhead appeared in after that? Oh, Lord, uh, all, too many things, I think. They had nine movies, uh, you know, sequels to sequels to sequels, uh, only one of which I was connected with, or actually two of which I was connected with, Hellraiser 2 and 3. And then after that, they were, they were taken off by other people, other talents. Um, and then the comic books, which have been, uh, in many cases, rather brilliant, and actually really taken the mythology to new and interesting places. So I'm, I'm very proud of the, the, the comic books in a way that I'm not really proud of many of the sequels to the movie. Right. Were you involved with the comic books at all? Yes, I am. I'd like to say a major part of the comic book uh, creation, but I think that's pretentious on me. I think, in a way, the comic books have to tell their own tales through the, the people who write and paint them. Right. And then another character that features prominently in the Scarlet Gospels is the character Harry Demore. You want to say a bit more about him? Well, Harry is Harry is a, is a is a film noir character in a way. He's a he's a Philip Marlowe of via Clive Barker, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, he uh, he's a you know a, a down at heel, rather pissed off, rather exhausted PI uh, who's uh, based in New York, uh, and uh, in the, in the movie and in the story actually goes to L.A. comes to L.A. I should say. And investigates what is a seems to be a murder. It turns out to be much more. Now uh, that was the Lord of Illusions story. Now I come to the Scarlet Gospels. I put it up against Pinhead. You know, it's a very different kind of tale. 
Right. And so uh, so if people have read Hellbound Heart, is that a good enough uh, introduction to this? Or are there, is there other things they should read? I, before? Don't, I don't know. I, I Actually, I don't think you need to read anything, honestly. I think that the, uh, you know, it's always nice to have some background, but I'd like to think the book is completely self-contained. All right, great. And so, uh, so you announced this book a long time ago, right? Tell us about when, when did you first announce this book? Uh, I, I I don't know when I announced it. I do know that I had a coma between then and now. I think I went to the dentist one one day and fell into a coma when I got home uh, due to some uh, some uh, toxic uh, uh, problem I had with the, with the dentist. And I was out out cold for two weeks and it took a long time to get better. In fact, I'm not really better now. Uh, it's taken a long time to heal myself. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess just how are you doing in general? Are you... Well, just like you know, your... it's, it's weird. A coma is a weird thing. You think it's gone away entirely and it hasn't. It leaves these afterthoughts. And it, uh, it mucks with your memory, mucks with all kinds of things. It's, it's quite a fight to get better. It's a real fight to get better, and many people don't. Many, you know, the doctors who were looking around my bed when I was in the hospital expected me to die. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, we're, we're all certainly glad that you're uh, that you're still with us. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be still with you, David. It's, uh, though I probably wouldn't notice if I wasn't. <laughs> um, so, so when in the court, like, how far into writing Scarlet Gospels were you when that happened? Uh, well, there isn't really a you know you know how writing goes. There's no. Demarcation of when I'm halfway through, three quarters of the way through. I was I was working, and I was deeply into the project. Uh, but then, you know, I probably didn't get better for another eighty months. Uh, it took a long time to get to get well. Right, and I mean, uh, you're known for doing many different drafts. I mean, how? Yeah, yeah, yeah handwritten drafts, Dave. Handwritten drafts. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of drafts, and there's a lot of. Of changes and 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 you know I, I was dealing with two iconic characters for, for me, uh, particularly Pinhead belongs in a, in a certain uh, uh, well people view him rather rather uh, with with a certain amount of respect and I like that. I wanted to say goodbye to him in a really good way. Uh, have you read the book, Dave? Yes, I have. And what do you think? I mean, is the respect there? Oh, absolutely! I thought I thought it was terrific. I mean, it's it's. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's uh, it's a huge uh, scope, and uh, uh, it really, you know, uh, it really has a. It's a book with a big bang in it, and Thank uh, you. <laughs> I was really impressed by uh, by just the the scope of the book and the level of imagination in it. Thank you. You didn't so you didn't feel that it was uh, too small. I mean, I, I did take away a lot of, of material from the, from the that first and second drafts because I felt that it, it wandered a little bit. I hope now it doesn't wander. I wanted it to be raw and clean and, and aggressive. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I thought, um, you know, there was there's the climax. I don't want to say too much, but there's the climax, and then there's, you know, it continues uh, on after the climax, and I thought that it, you know, it did a good job of, uh, it didn't feel rushed to me at all. It felt like it did a good job of wrapping up the Thank character's you. stories. That's good. I mean, I am saying goodbye to a major character, and I needed to, as I said before, pay my respects, but at the same time, not indulge myself. So thank you very much for saying that. Great. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you, you say there's a lot of pressure, right, to do this right. Um, what sort of uh, things had fans said over the years about uh, what they hoped to see with Pinhead? 
you know, most people, almost all the fans, have never expected me to go back to Pinhead in, in literary form. The expectation was that I would go back to him, uh, you know, in, in a movie. Uh, and that never felt right to me. Uh, certainly, there was no reason not to do other movies, uh, but that wasn't what I really wanted to do. What I really wanted to do was get there with words. And, you know, uh, Pinhead is a rather... Uh, literally figure. He, he speaks with a certain cadence, a certain almost Shakespearean cadence. He speaks you know, with those round tones and, and Doug does a really good job with that stuff. So I wanted to make sure that was in the, in, in the performance, if you will, of this farewell. And I couldn't do that on, on a movie screen. Right, right. And I think something else that would be hard to do on a movie screen is just the the amount of fantasy in this book. Oh, I mean, forget I... it. Forget <laughs> it, Dave. Yes, absolutely. Even with the best CGI in the world, you know, you're looking at you know money to to spend on a movie. If it was a movie, it's on a much larger scale than I could ever get for a Hellraiser movie. But again, you go to back to the wonders of, of the word. The word is 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 as you know because you work with the word. Uh, you know, the word is is, is magical. The word is protean. It can give us all kinds of wonderful things for almost nothing, just the price of your imagination. Right. And I mean, I hope it's not spoiling too much, I think, to say that a lot of this book takes place in hell. No, um, I, don't, I don't think we're spoiling anything by that. I think it may even be on the back of the book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so, so talk about just the, the image of hell that you created for this book in particular. Well, you know, I, let me talk about first about what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do a medieval, uh, you know, version of hell with hellfire and brimstone and, you know, uh, cauldrons full of the damned. That didn't seem appropriate at all for me. Or indeed for Pithead. I wanted to do something that was, was modern. Uh, you know, this needed to be a hell that Pithead could walk and we could see him in that context and understand that he belonged there. I don't want to give too much away, Dave. I think that's where we have to respect the... The, the, the danger of spoilers here. Uh, I want people to come to the hell that, that I've tried to produce in this book uh, with a certain freshness and maybe get a little surprise when they see how complex it is, how, how layered it is. It's a, it's a very political hell. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, no absolutely, yeah. Um, and in fact, like you were saying, like you didn't want it to be Dante's Inferno or whatever. I mean... It, the characters say once or twice in the book that this is a hell unlike hell that, as they've seen before in popular culture. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't hurt once in a while to tell the audience what they're seeing <laughs> um, and, and, uh, or what they're not seeing. I mean, there are many hells. You know, there's Miltonic hell, there's, there's, and we talked about the medieval hell, there's certainly 19th century and even 20th century hells. You could say that Auschwitz is a form of hell. The hell goes on and on. Hell is, as I said in another book of mine, damnation game, hell is reimagined by every generation. And I think, loosely speaking, that's true. We have to reinvent the worst so that we can reinvent the best. Right. And you mentioned that this is a, sort of a political hell in the sense that there is, there's a lot of hierarchy and bureaucracy. Yes. I think bureaucracy is a key thing because I think that's where we reflect what is going on in our, in our century, in our, in our time. The zeitgeist of humanity should be the zeitgeist of hell. Right. Um, talk about how much um, sort of world building did you do? Did you do you have organizational charts for hell's bureaucracy and uh, stuff like I, that? I, I did. I mean, I, yeah, I did partly because I could get those things wrong in a heartbeat. <laughs> it was good that I did because when I came back from being away in, in, in Cornland, I had all that paperwork to refer to. But, you know, it, it's uh, in the end, you just... 
you, you just go with the emotion of the thing rather than more than the, 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 than the diagrams. The diagrams are very really useful for time, but in the end, it's what, what presses the characters forward in terms of their emotion. Right, and I know that you're a, you're a painter as well. Did you do a lot of visual uh, art to help you yeah, visualize yeah, what, this? What what edition do you have? Do you have the American edition? I assume it's the American. It, it has the, the it has sort hard of an, cover, Dave? It's a hardcover. It has kind of an eye on the cover. And have you looked inside? There's there yeah. There's no art. I don't think in the book. Are you sure? Uh, you I'll, the, I'll pull it out again. If you pull it out, look at the look at the, the wraparound cover on the inside of the wraparound. Oh yeah, I did. There's sort of a um, yeah, like a the William... inside. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like a William Blake kind of. Um... That would be nice to reference. William Blake would be just fine. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's, there's quite a nice piece of art in the, in, inside, and that's a nice little surprise for for, for readers. But you you had already seen it, right? I uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. No, when I was oh, you did. Oh, Dave, this is this is marvelous. You so you actually read the book without seeing what was inside. Oh, no, I shouldn't say inside, but within the within the the the, the, the covers, it's sort of a hidden world in a way. Hell is hiding in your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, I opened the gate to hell. And, I and love that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Be careful with the boxes you open, or indeed the books you open. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, do you want to? I guess for I mean, some of our listeners may not be familiar with Pinhead, and so do you just want to explain about the the box and what that means? Well, yes. I mean, um, yeah, are there really people in the world who don't, don't know about Pinhead? They're blessed people if, if they do. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have access to how in, in the first in the book and in the first movie uh, done or uh, explained or explored by something rather different than drawing the circle on, on the floor with, you know, magical symbols right around it. That seemed rather stale and rather old. So I went back to something that I remembered from my childhood. My grandfather was a ship's cook, and he came back from the Far East very often with strange little toys, really. And one of the things he brought back was a puzzle a puzzle box, uh, which obsessed me for a long time. It's long since been lost, but it was something that I had in my house for a long time. And it was uh, made of wood, carved wood. It wasn't very elaborate, but it, it was nevertheless something I hadn't found before in my life. I played with it a lot as a child. So when I went back to, to the, the, the problem of how to uh, open the doors of hell, the idea of having a, a puzzle box or you know, some kind of puzzle be presented to the would-be uh, opener of these doors, uh, being a, a puzzle box, interesting to me. You know, the, the image of a cube, firstly, it's everywhere in our culture, everywhere I think in world culture, you know, whether it be Rubik's Cube or the idea of the power cube in, in the Avengers movies. You know, there's a lot of places where the image of a cube as a thing of power is uh, pertinent. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't have any mythic explanations for it, uh, but it seems to work for people. Yeah. So I actually I wanted to get back to you mentioned this this illness you had, and that it was right in the middle of writing this book. Did you do you think that that affected the the way the book turned out? That you were you able to draw on any of that experience? I, I, I think that is very hard. To say. Honestly, very hard to say. I could I could I could whip you up some colorful story, Dave. About yes, it, it, you know, I came back from my coma with visions. I didn't come back from my coma with visions. I saw nothing, or if I did, I didn't remember it. Um, it was a terrifying experience when looked back upon. 
But you know, one minute you're standing in front of, of, of uh, your sink, you're washing your face, the next minute you're, you're gone. You're just not there anymore. It's like falling asleep very suddenly and very, very, very hard. Falling, uh, you know, hard asleep, gone. Left the world. But I didn't leave the world to go to some other place. Or I would say, if I did, I don't remember that other place. I, I mean, did, did you find at all that, that spending a lifetime reading scary stories and writing scary stories prepares you for uh, something like that? Well, let, let's go first back and say, in my life, I, I think I've done a, a lot of different kinds of things. Some of the stories I've written, yes, absolutely have been scary stories. But there's also Weave World and The Magicker and The Great and Secret Show and, you know, Theme of All Ways. A lot of stories that are not scary, they're, I w- would hope, celebratory and life-affirming. So I'd like to think that if there was any help along the journey, it would be on both sides of the coin, as it were. It would be, you know, the dark side of the light. But the honest truth is, I don't think I remember anything at all from that journey, so I can't obviously say that there was anything that helped or, or didn't help. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of research being done into comas, because it's hard to find out what is happening when the brain is not functioning as it should. I mean, I heard you, you talked about this experience uh, on the Nerdist podcast, and I heard you say that you, you heard from some people saying that, that, that they seemed more concerned about how this was going to affect your uh, publication schedule than, than anything else. Uh, yeah, but, you know, do you want me to talk about that, Dave? I mean, I'll happily address it. Um, you know, there have been a lot of examples. Uh, recently, it happened to Anne Rice. It happened, I, I think, to... Uh, uh, well, it happened to a lot of people. Um, where where the, the, the reader's interest in when the next book is coming along it takes precedence over the author's health. And I think that's regrettable. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's regrettable whoever it is uh, who's, who's you know who's, who's having some bad times in their life. And it doesn't have to be bad health. It could be you know losing your husband as it was Rice. It was losing her husband's stand. And then, you know, the fans were not very kind. They were impatient, frankly, uh, with Anne, uh, wanting her to just stop moaning and groaning and mourning and get back to writing. That is cruel. That is inhuman, actually. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's not what I would hope my fans would be first uh, concerned with. But it turned out to be the case for some of the fans. I say only some. Actually, I think a small number. But they they were uh, they were certainly had some volume to their voices. I mean, what do you make it? I mean, it seems to me maybe that that some people see authors as sort of celebrities, and they just imagine your life must be wonderful. And so, what are you complaining about? No matter what happens. To yeah, you? maybe, maybe. I think if people look at the you know what I produce in terms of books and paintings and so on, they would see I work pretty hard. And uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's the red carpets, the big parties, all that nonsense in, in my life. I just paint and write and, uh, and uh, you know, play with the dogs. Hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a very low-key life. I've never been a big uh, party girl or whatever. So I don't think, I don't think my readers are in any uh, uh, way uh, viewing my life in a very different way to the truth. I think people know what kind of life I have, and it's not a life which is full of you know, uh, I don't own planes like John Travolta or, or swan around in fast cars. Uh, my life is about the art and the friends that I have around the art. Uh, so, 
So I, I think, uh, I don't think anybody is, is misunderstanding the kind of life I have. Would you, would you like to give, it, give me your point of view on that? Because you are standing outside the life I live. I mean, is it, do you think you have a very different view of it? Yeah, I, I'm not really. Sh- I mean, I don't. Re- I guess I don't really know what your life is like. But I, I sort of imagine your house being all full of like skulls and uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, dildos and stuff. I don't even know. Oh, skulls and dildos. That's an interesting combination. Uh, uh, somebody's going to have a good time tonight. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, well, yes. Yeah, so let me just look around. There's a bat in here, and there's uh, there's some dogs, and there's a yeah, there is a skull actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it, uh, actually, there are four dildos. Oh, no, we, we won't go there. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of fun stuff in here, but there's also masks and paintings and, you know, a lot, a lot of other cool things. I mean, I would I would think it was a sad life if you didn't have room for skulls and dildos. <laughs> but, I mean, I do think, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of maybe a little bit disabused of this because I'm a writer and I've met on, enough writers at this point, but... I, I do think when I was younger, I had a more naive notion that essentially whatever kinds of characters an author wrote about, that's basically what they were like in real life. Yeah, so if, if you were writing a romance, the, the, the author was swatting around in a long dress, even even the men, and, uh, you know, uh, smoking a cigarette in a, in a long holder and, and serving a cold martini. I, it's simply not the case, is it? We both know that. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it would actually, I think, be disappointing if it were the case, because if we as authors were reaching for the life that we were writing about, why would we write about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, part of, the, part of what we do as authors is, is, to, is the business of, 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 I suppose, realizing the dream or nightmare. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, you just mentioned a second ago that you don't have sort of this glamorous life where you're on the red carpet and all these things. It, it seems like uh, you used to be on television more and you gave interviews more. Did you just kind of get bored with that? or I, I did. And then television changed. Television changed big time. It was harder and harder to say things that you wanted to say on television. So people would censor me a lot more than they, 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 they did at the beginning. Uh, and so it, it, got, it got tiring. It got unrewarding. Uh, you know, I go on the Bill Maher show at the beginning of my career and I can say just about anything. When he moved to ABC, it was harder and harder to have the freedom to say what you wanted to say. In which case, why why do it? Right. Yeah, you know, I'm not on TV for the money. I'm not on TV <laughs> for the celebrity. I'm on TV so I can say things, usually political things, usually, uh, you know, something to do with my sexuality, uh, that I can actually put in front of people when they don't expect it. It'd be a little shocking, maybe, but that's, that's, what, that's a, a useful tactic once in a while. And I was able to do that, and I was pleased to be able to do that. And I was pleased to be given the freedom to do that. No more freedom. Not now. Right. I mean, I actually, I used to watch Bill Maher's show and, you know, it always, I always thought it was so interesting that there were people like you and uh, Harlan Ellison on. Right, right. uh, And and part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to have fantasy and science fiction authors come on and talk about things that matter. Yeah, Um, thank you. That's cool. Have you had Harlan on, by the way? I haven't had him on yet, no. The house that I live in, uh, the house where I'm sitting right now, is, is was owned by Robert Colt. I bought it off Robert Colt, who was uh, the, 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 one of the actors in I Spy, which, of course, uh, uh, you know, was, was a very famous and popular TV show in the 60s. Uh, Robert Colt was one of the stars uh, with Bill Cosby, and before he did I Spy, he did a couple of Outer Limits episodes, including one written by Harlan Nelson. So when I got moved into this house, Harlan called me and said, 
Uh, he bought Bob Colt's house. Uh, I fucked it in Riverdale house. <laughs> and I, I gathered that was true. <laughs> was it uh, was it demon with a glass hand or? Um... Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, wow, you're good, Dave. You're good. Uh, yeah, absolutely, it was demon with a glass hand. And I think I'm right to say, but you can confirm this or no, uh, that that was the the the, the piece which was. Uh, inspired, which inspired Cameron to do Terminator. Is that right? Uh, well, that's controversial. I mean, it depends okay. on who, it depends on who you ask. But yeah, I mean, um, Harlan alleged that uh, Cameron had taken elements from from that one and another one. That it was based on the short story Soldier. I'm not sure if the Outer Limits episode. It was well. Soldier as well. Well, I just remember Harlan is thanked at the, the end of the Terminator on video. And I, I never asked him about this. I've got an expert on the line. I may as well ask you one. I've got you. Um, and it, it was a, it was just an interesting thing. Harlan has been so many things to so many people. I've done so many amazing things. And that was uh, the, the, the connection he had between me and Culp and people with the glass hand in my house. It was pretty awesome. Right. I, I do. I feel compelled to point out, though, that James Cameron would dispute that. Uh, dispute. Oh, well, and I, I, I will absolutely I understand that. I mean, we're not holding any of this as being the truth. We're just you know, postulating some things. I just remember this being in the air once, and I just, uh, you know, offered it up as a question. But no, uh, no harm to file. Right. No, no sure. Um, but so, I mean, why did you... I'm just kind of curious, as an interviewer, why did you get tired with doing interviews? Was it just the same questions over and over? Yeah, it's, it's the same questions. So how did you invent Pinhead? How many pins did he have in his head? <laughs> did, he have a pin, did he have pins in his penis? If he had some pins in his penis, what happens to him when he gets the erection? Uh, you know, uh, he gets very old really quickly. And, you know, at the same time, I don't want to get old myself. I don't want the, the image of myself, of the presence of myself, my voice, whatever it is, to bore people. I don't want people to say, oh, brother, it's Clyde Barker again. I prefer to disappear as a person and leave the books to tell the tales I want to tell. Does that make, does that make sense? I mean, is that, is that a, is, are you rolling your eyes at the other end of the corner going, no, please? Uh, or does that make sense of attitude? No, I, I can I can completely understand that. I mean, I, I I try really hard not to just ask the same old questions in interviews, but it's hard sometimes just because you have to, you know. There's certain well, and, and these people want the same old questions answered. <laughs> that's, that's 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 the thing, isn't it? You know, uh, I suppose I would be the same if I was talking to I don't know, Corbett Dahl or somebody I was interested in, uh, and I would ask the same old questions. You know. Uh, how many pins do you have in your penis? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I mean, I've I've only been interviewed about five or six times in my life, and every single time they've asked, uh, you know, my dad's a, a fairly well-known physicist, and they ask about that. And I can yeah. just imagine if I if I'm ever interviewed five hundred times, I can just imagine every single interview is going to involve that question, and I'm going to get kind of tired of it. You, know? you get you're tired, and you also get tired. Your voice starts to get tired. You you start to project an indifference, frankly, uh, which is not really in my nature. I'm not an indifferent person. I'm a passionate person. But you know, when people ask me the same question five hundred times, it's very hard to sound interested. So I would I would try to get people to. That's why I like Bill Maher at the beginning. Bill Maher would talk would ask pretty radical questions, and I was able to get up against the fundamental Christians. And, oh, it, was, it was it was cool stuff, uh, but that disappeared very soon. The, the facility to be free with your with your answers just disappeared. 
Because you moved to ABC or because of something else? I think the ABC move. I think I think when you move to a major network, you lose freedom. Your bank balance gets gets better, I suspect. But you see, the freedom is is the price of it. And that's a, that's, that's something I, I'm not even sure Mr. Ma was was happy to give up. I suspect he wasn't. Right. I mean, it seems like he's back on HBO now, though. So it seems like yes, that's that, pretty that, much. That, that's, yeah, that's why I think he wasn't happy with the ABC move in the first place. But, you know, you do things in your life, and you, after you look back, you say, well, that was a big mistake, wasn't it? I mean, everybody does that. I've had, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life in terms of my uh, career. And, you know, you try and correct them and get on with your life after that. Oh, so, I mean, <laughs> do you want to talk about any of those mistakes? Uh, no, I'll, I'll leave the, the, the transsexual stories to, for another night. <laughs> All right. I mean, because I mean, you said that you you missed talking about politics on on Bill Maher's show, but I've also heard you say in interviews that you kind of you don't think authors should talk about politics that they should, like you were saying a second ago, kind of get out of the way and let the work speak. No, about, I, so. I don't. What I mean is party politics. I don't want to be able to talk. I don't want to talk about the conservative, you know, party if I was in England. So I, but I want to talk about the broader sense of politics. Uh, you know, how our lives are run by people we don't trust, and why we allow them to do do the running. Uh, that those are the, the larger political questions which I do want to address, which my books are very much concerned with a lot of the time. Right. Well, I was definitely, I wanted to ask you, there's a scene in the Scarlet Gospels where the characters, uh, who are uh, some of whom are gay, uh, yeah. run, in, run into this um, evangelical uh, preacher Correct. Yes. Who, who tells them that they're going to hell. Um, yeah. Do you want to just talk uh, about uh, that? For once, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, I missed your question, Dave. Sorry. Oh, I mean, just do, do, like, talk about that. Why did you include that scene, and what is it kind of... Well, you know, I'm a gay man uh, living an out life for a long time, and it, 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 it's tiresome and, and anger-making to hear people uh, continue to spit out the same old dreary uh, cliches about the fact that, you know, gay men are doing something that was unnatural, and, uh, you know, that we are priced to pay when, when, you know, the rapture happened. Uh, you know, all kinds of, of, of strange uh, choices are made by uh, on behalf of God uh, by by very strange Christians who should just shut up. Uh, but you know, life has a tendency to prove uh, uh, prove that they have that they have their own secrets. Very often, even in the time that I've been alive, been doing interviews, there have been uh, uh, revenge is taken by 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 time and, and circumstance which have revealed the true nature of many of these people, whether they've had their hands in the pockets of their, their, their uh, audience, if you will, their congregation, or whether they've had their hands on the breast of the congregation, uh, they have been uh, very bad men, by and large. And I think, you know, that, that is its own revenge, it's own, and its own reward, from my point of view. Uh, I'd like to think more people would pay attention to what those lessons are telling us, but they don't. Uh, you know, Christians are a gullible lot by and large, uh, which is, you know, surprising. Look what they believe. But the the uh, the the idea of, of of being so gullible that you will go back to the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, you know, you give money to the Pope as if he hasn't got enough. <laughs> you know, that 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 kind of thing is anger making to me still. You know, the, the, only 55 years ago, the, the Vatican was supporting the Nazis. When do we learn? 
Right. I mean, do you, uh, according to Wikipedia, it says that you identify as a Christian. Is that is that the case? I'll identify as anything that gives, gives me a few bucks. No, it's a, it's a, that was a joke. Uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the idea of, of identifying solely with, 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 one, with, with one religion doesn't make sense to me. Identifying with the idea of being a believer in something greater than us, it does make sense to me. Uh, so if I'm in a Christian country, sure, when in Rome, you know, be, be, be a Roman. But I, I do like to stay open, if you like. No jokes, please. There's a, there's a pleasure in saying I'm available to any kind of belief system if, it, if it's interesting to me. Interesting, not true. I, I mean, so what do you think about a book like the Bible? Do you think it's something that you... Do you it's try really, to follow yeah, it? Or? Well, I, I was given a choice by, uh, by a magazine recently to name my five scariest novels, or books, rather, and the Bible was one of them. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a pretty good book. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but you, I mean, but you don't think that people should follow it or necessarily, no, right? No, I think, I think following it is a very, very dumb idea because you end up on a cross. <laughs> I mean, why, why do you think it's such a, a, an issue for so many Christians to accept homosexuality when they, they have no problem dismissing, you know, they would never kill someone for working on the Sabbath or something like that? No, but they will kill people for having a doctor. They will kill people for a lot of bad reasons, silly reasons. Uh, Christians are rather uh, unforgiving people, I think, for a sect which is supposed to be loving and caring and, and compassionate. They're a bunch of mean bastards. I mean, it seems like there's progress being made on that, though. I mean, it seems like a lot of in, in a lot of evangelical churches now they're kind of telling the young people you have to you can't be a good Christian and accept homosexuality, and people are choosing to accept homosexuality and abandon Christianity if that's the choice that they're being given. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see that, but I don't know if I see it on a level which will change our culture. I mean, so many of these mistakes uh, about you know our, our attitudes have been written in our in our in our constitution of, of, of self for a very, very long time, and it's be, it'll be hard to shift people's attitudes. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is, Dave, people like being bastards. People like choosing to look at other people for themselves and choosing not to like their lifestyles. It makes them feel superior. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. What I heard... did that year, Dave, what, come on, what did that year mean? Because it sounds like you weren't quite committed to that point of view. No, I'm sorry. I just have a really um, like flat affect. It, it doesn't. You shouldn't read anything into it. Okay, I, good. I, I, I always talk like I always okay. sound like that. That's, that's good. Oh <laughs> uh, no, because I, I completely agree with everything you okay. said. Um, uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of interviews with in, in in shows with Christians, and they're perfectly nice people behind the scenes before you actually get on set. I did stuff with you know with uh, with Bill Barr, with with a couple of. Uh, decent Christians who, you know, laugh a minute with uh, over coffee before the show started. And then the lights went up, and Bill Maher said, you know, here's my partner, here's, you know, so-and-so from the, this church or that church. And they became vitriolic and vehement and nasty, nasty people, because I think they thought there, was votes, there were votes in that. And probably there were votes, and are votes in that. Uh, it disgusts and terrifies me that people will still use hatred as a reason to vote. Right, right, and and that's sort of, yeah. I guess I'll, I'll just I, I'm I'm a, I'm a well-known atheist. Uh, both my parents are scientists. I don't believe in anything well, well, supernatural. Uh, you, so you you're not well known by God. Uh, I'm sorry. 
Now, you're not well known by God. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, he tends to be rather dismissive of atheists who don't believe in him. Yeah, I'm just. Another just... joke. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. No, no, no. I'm just, just in case you're wondering, like where I'm coming from. Um, that's yeah. That's... No, I, I, you, 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 you have science in your blood, and I have art in my blood. And interestingly, here is where science and art have a lot in common. Uh, we're all, we're all making our own worlds. Uh, I'm making my own worlds from my head. You're making your own worlds from what you see in the world. Right. I mean, yeah, it's kind of an interesting paradox, I guess, that I love fantasy so much, even though I have such a rational outlook. But Isn't that a compensation? Isn't that a, a way of relieving the tension of having to believe in the world itself, which is when the world itself is so bloody wrong? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Yeah. And I mean, I really think that, you know, it's like the, the yin and the yang is the imagine. Yeah. I, I see like imagination and skepticism. And I, I, I wouldn't want to have one without the other. No, I think it would be a wrong thing. And I, I, you know, when we have four dogs in the house, some wonderful parrots and some human beings too, and then there's, we have a little dog who was sleeping yesterday called Dickie. Dickie has the eyes of, of a great philosopher. You look into Dickie's eyes and he looks at you with the sweetest, most kindly, gentle, loving eyes. But he also, he seems to be questioning you all the time. And uh, my parrot, Malingo, uh, does the same thing. Uh, the, the, the animal world, the, the, the natural world, is interested by us and, and questioning us all the time, I think. And we have been very dismissive on it. So I would not be a physicist, I would be a biologist if I was a scientist. I'm interested in the natural world because it seems to be very unnatural. <laughs> I, I did want to ask you, though, a, a second ago, I, you know, I, I heard you say in an interview that people will come up to you at uh, book signings and things, and they'll, and they'll say, thank you, um, reading your work makes me feel like I'm not alone, something like that. Yes, I mean, you know, but the reasons why people are not alone will be very different from person to person. Uh, there will be gay readers who will say, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I was 15 when I first read one of your books, and, you know, it made me realize that Clive Parker was was also gay, and that that was cool to you know to, to to live in the world that way. So that's a nice thing. But there's also people who want to believe in the fantastic, not as a reality, but as a way to uh, shape their their lives. Um, you know, I I I've lived more by the rules of fantasy than I have by the rules of reality, because the rules of reality are, are rotten. Could could you like what do you mean by that they want to use fantasy to shape their lives? Well, if you if you look at uh, if you look at the, the, what politics tells you and what Ray Bradbury tells you, uh, well, then I want to learn I want to learn about the world from Ray, not from uh, uh, politicians. You know, Ray had a lot of kind of wonderful, kind, loving things to say, healing things, if you will, healing things. He he, he made me feel better when I was ill in the soul. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I would say, I mean, I grew up reading a lot of fantasy and science fiction, and I, 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 I kind of had this worldview that the world would be a, a, a fine, and, fine and perfect place if everyone just read these books and uh, internalized them. Uh, what do you think about, I mean, if, if all these politicians grew up reading Clive Barker books, would they? Well, they, would, would, they would have to go to the Senate, they'd be too busy reading, and that would be a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, I... I you know, uh, there's a wonderful line from uh, 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 
I'm trying to remember who it is. One of an author. Um, he this author says he doesn't care who is is politician, who is president, because he's bound to be a politician. <laughs> and I think that's uh, that's a very uh, very smart thing to say, because the, the political act, the act of seeking out political power, and the act of being able to get the money to keep it in that power to yourself, uh, are by the by the very nature corrupting. And I think we see this over and over and over again, don't we? Uh, we see, we see that, that it's not a good idea to be a politician because you're just going to end up sick in the soul and sick in the head, sick for your people, you know, doing bad things. Right, but I mean, someone's got to, so, someone's got to write laws or something to stop, right? Do they? Do they? Really? I mean, not not according to Alan Moore, I guess. But... Well, do you, you don't have any bad laws around that. What about, about getting up in the morning and starting to destroy laws? I'm I, I being silly. I mean, I, I, but I do I do think there's, there's something to be said for uh, taking a deep breath and looking at what we do to put structures in place around us and asking at what point are those structures detrimental to our lives. Right, but but I, I would think, I mean, just in, in your lifetime, I would think, hasn't there been tremendous progress in terms of uh, gay rights in politics? No, 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 not enough, not enough. I mean, you know, there'll the be people beaten up and killed this really week. Uh, no, th- th- it won't do. I'm a human being. I don't deserve to be treated as a lesser human being because I suck cock. And I do it very well, by the way. <laughs> uh, but but you don't think things are improving, though? I don't think they're improving enough, Dave. No, I mean, no, enough. no argument I there. Mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we can say, well, they're improving, therefore we should be happy. No, I will not be happy until things are good and, 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 and righteous and in, in, in order. Uh, they're not in order. Because plainly they're not in order. And we're not in order about so many other things. We have one planet, we're destroying it. We're not in order about that. I'm not going to say we're getting better about the oceans. No, not enough. 90% of the fish are dead. Well, yeah, I, I certainly I agree. I agree with you that more needs a lot more needs to be done. I, I I think we can agree on that for sure. And I think until we, if we agree on that, then it's not worth saying anything other than that day to get on with the work of making things right. Yeah. No, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, otherwise we get into some complacent place where we say, well, you know, they're sort of right. They're a bit right. They're they're, they're better than they were. Uh, uh, different than they were is, is rotten when you look at what, the, what it was a hundred years ago. Oh, so we don't hydro and quarter people, so things are better than they were. Yeah, no, I mean, point I, point taken, yeah. Um, I did want to, like, be, before we completely run out of time, I did want to, we had a bunch of listener questions, and people mostly wanted to know just kind of what you're working on, uh, upcoming projects and things. Do you want to just talk about what, what other things you're working on these days? Uh, a lot of, a lot of things. And I, 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 I've learned my lesson, I think, in the, the ripe old age of 103. I decided that it's better to just shut up about things until you're ready to put them into the world. I've got a lot of things, you know, cooking up. Uh, the only thing I can talk about, I suppose, or, or at least mention, is that I've got two more Amarat books to deliver, and I'm, right now I'm working on the fourth of the five books, after which I'll move in straight to the fifth of the five books, and Amarat will be finished. But, you know, there's a lot of other things in my in my life, and a lot of other paintings, and, and, and uh, movies, and, and a, lot, a lot of stuff. So I'll keep that under my hand until I'm ready to say it's definitely happening, and this is when it's happening. 
Um, how about a, there's a Hellraiser remake was announced? Is there anything uh, yeah, to say about uh, that? Uh, yes, I actually wrote a, an outline for it, but then uh, uh, it seems as though uh, uh, the people of Miramax that I mentioned have lost their enthusiasm for it right now. We'll see what happens. I, you know, it's another of those places where it's so easy to get enthusiastic and then be disappointed. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 right now, I'm in a place where I'm feeling good about the world, good about the work, and I just want to get on with the work quietly and uh, see what it surprises me. Right, right. Um, and I did want to also ask you just about, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a relatively new writer, and I'm just curious, like, from your point of view, what is the... I don't know. What is the writing world like these days? The horror fields. You are things good? Are they bad? I'm just kind of curious. What I, your take I, is on. I don't. I don't think. I think every every writer lives in their own personal hell, and I don't. I don't think it's possible to say with any certainty or or, or confidence. Well, this is what the business is like. I think that's highly pretentious because you know what the business is like depends on how you feel this morning and whether you're bulldozed. Um, uh, particularly if you're a woman, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a, a feeling I have in my life that uh, my life has been up and down, up and down, right through my writing career, my painting career, and so on. It isn't useful for me to, to pontificate about what other people's lives are like. I can barely describe my own. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting because, I mean, from my perspective, it just seems like you've had a terrific, you know, I mean, like Stephen King called you the future of horror when you were. Probably younger than I am now. I'm not even sure. I was 30, 31, 32, yeah. How old are you now? I'm 37. Oh, wow. You're so, so, so very old. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you, you're just beginning your career, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've just published. I've published about 30 short stories. In well, that's, 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 a, that's a lot, man. 37? Any of them in English? Uh, no, I, I think they're all in English. That was a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I mean, some of, some of them have been tra- translated, but... Ah, uh, well, there you I, go. You gotta have everything. <laughs> I bet some of them are in French. Terrible, terrible language. <laughs> um, do, you, do you keep up on, like, new writers these days? Do you... Do I want them? Do you follow new writers? Do you know who's coming up these days? Uh, I try not to, because they, they tend to arrest me for stalking. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, so, are, but I mean, are there any, I don't know, any movies or books or anything that you... Well, I, I, I try and keep up with stuff, and I, you know, but again, to, to, to start to list the kind of stuff I'm interested in, the number of things I see, would be a long business, because I see a lot of movies, I read a lot of books, a lot of non-fiction, actually, uh, and just, I don't, I don't watch much television, that's about the only thing I'm not interested in, but I see paintings, a lot, a lot of stuff. It's no use saying, well, this, this is my life in terms of my tastes, because very often the things which are useful to me are things I don't like. Uh, I, I can get more lessons from a bad movie often than a good one. <laughs> right, well, so are there any, like, uh, yeah, like, so, so what are some lessons you've learned from bad movies that you've... Oh, that would, that would require me to name the bad movies. And that, in turn, would require me to name people I know. <laughs> or be like, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, offer the fist on that and move on. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, there have been a lot of movies of late that have come out from people that I genuinely do like as human beings uh, that have been really wretched movies. And I think everybody, everybody in their career makes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I made the ugly once, once in a while, but you know, you, you, you do what you can, you, you do your best, and then move on.
Well, it's funny because some some listeners wanted me to ask you what scares you. And it sounds like maybe one thing that scares you is uh, being forced to give an honest critique of your friend's work. I, yeah, well, I would never do that. Giving you an honest critique of anything is just tiresome. Honestly, it's, it's, it's fine as long as all you're talking about is love. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I, this is probably a question you get a lot, but listeners did ask it. I mean, so what what does frighten you? Do you does anything? You are kidding me, Dave. Dave, you're asking a 62 year old man what scares me. I tell you, waking up from a coma what scares me. I might not have woken up, uh, but you know, in all in all honesty, you, you know, it's a bit like asking a comedian what makes him laugh. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I just don't think those questions are honestly. Uh, very useful questions or questions I honestly haven't seen any, any way to answer. Uh, um, yeah, I think you understand that, right? I mean, at no point have I ever sort of gone down to the corner store and asked for three scary ideas. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I'm curious then, since you write the you write horror and also stuff that isn't horror, do you find that it affects your, your mood or your outlook to write one versus the other? Well, uh, that, that's an interesting question. I... I I have not written for adults for a while, and writing, going back and writing for adults now, uh, as I have been on a couple of short projects I've been doing for myself, has been very rewarding. I've really enjoyed that. Uh, equally, when I write things which are more poetic, perhaps, or more innocent in terms of tone, that can be rewarding, too. Uh, what is nice is to, to be able to work. What is nice is to have the... The freedom to work, and more importantly, the freedom to actually get the work to other people. It's communication, 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 yes. That's, that's, that's the thing which gives me greatest joy. To be silenced would be the greatest terror. Right. So so when you moved into writing the, the stuff for younger readers, did you? what sort of response did you get? Like, Did you notice that the, the younger fans said different sorts of things in response to you than the older fans? Well, you know, you're talking about saying the same, saying different things or the same things about uh, the same piece of fiction that you say, you know, did the adults respond to things more ways from the way the children did or the younger people did? Because if you are asking that, I think the answer will be no, they didn't. Uh, you know, we're all, we all live in our own separate places, our own separate spheres, and the, the eight-year-old lives in a very different sphere to the 28-year-old or indeed the 108-year-old. So it, it's, it's a... I I was rewarded by incredible intelligence in the in the younger people responding to the books. Uh, the Abrap books had wonderful responses, and again, incredible intelligence and clarity of thinking, and humanity and, and uh, empathy. Things that many of the adults are missing. Right, and one thing I've heard a lot of horror authors say is that. There, you know, people are afraid that the books are too scary for kids, but actually, it's always the adults are more scared than the kids are. I think, I think, uh, I think very often kids are more scary than, than, than the adults. I mean, I think that you know, kids have, have got a clarity of thinking about w- w- what the world is really like, which can be very scary. Uh, you know, to actually look uh, into the abyss and say that's what it looks like, that's its color or absence of color, that can be a very intimidating business. I'm being waved that, Dave. I think I think we're running out of time. So should we uh, should we go to, go to some very significant question? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, th- I just thought this was kind of a funny question to end on. One of our listeners wanted to know: Would you solve the lament configuration if given the chance? And, you know, given given the knowledge of what was going to happen, I think I'd leave it be. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, I do like playing with things if I have the you know enough time. So. Uh, 
you know, I, I could toy with things in the dark. We all can, don't we? Yeah. Toy with things in the dark. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I think, I think there's too much innuendo in what I've been saying. I think we should... Uh, we should be grateful we got away with it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, this is a podcast. You can say anything you want. Oh, well, bugger that. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> All right. So, yes, yeah, so I think we're going to have to wrap things up there. Uh, so. Thank you. Thank you for the freedom to do this. This will be a laugh. I, I, when I began, I wasn't feeling very well. Now I, I'm finishing, and I, I do feel good. And not because we're finishing. <laughs> uh, but, but because I actually had a damn good time. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much, yeah, Clive. It was uh, it was a great talking to you. And uh, yeah, my apologies about. to anybody to, if I sounded weary at the beginning. It wasn't anything to do with the, the company I was keeping. It was entirely to do with the having me well. But I now feel sparkling and happy. So thanks to everybody, especially <laughs> to you, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Clive. Take care, man. All right. Yep. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. And that was our interview. So a big thanks again to Clive Barker for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who suggested questions for Clive. We had almost 30 people suggest questions, which is a new record. To see who suggested which questions, visit our Facebook page and check out the post from May 5th. I'd also like to give a special thank you to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Mauro Rini, Tyler Lutz, Monica Palladino, Massively Max, Chris0764, and Deadwood007. Deadwood007 writes, I gave it five stars. If you've listened to it, you know why. Nuff said. The fact is, we need this podcast. If we as fans of fantasy slash sci-fi are going to see the field move forward in its quality, in its content, and in its breadth of availability and exposure to more fans and to new fans, then we need this. This is quickly becoming about more than just a podcast centered around common interests, and is becoming a community. Throw your weight behind it however you can. Way out here in Oregon, you're appreciated, Geek's Guide. Keep it up, Curtly. So a huge thank you to Deadwood007 for that great review. And of course, a very special thank you to Bradley Booms, Maria Papali, and Josh McIntyre, who all signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy hearing the show each week and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd prefer to make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.